Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, you may recall that last week we talked about Marty. This week we are talking about the best picture of 1954, Ilya Kazan's On the Waterfront. And I am here to, uh, I'm, I'm here with a guy who, he could have been a contender for lead host, but no... Now he's just uh, what is it? A bum. Now he's just a bum. That's which is what I am. Which is what you are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hi. All right. So, <laughs> all right. On the waterfront. This is a film that I saw in high school. Did not really care for it <laughs> the first time. Uh, I thought it was really clunky. I thought the end felt forced. Mm. Um. And I think I just wasn't ready for it. I, I, I don't necessarily think it's a, an astonishing film or anything like that. It's a very powerful film with a lot of great moments in it. Um, but, uh, but I think there's stuff in it that I just, that a high schooler just wouldn't understand. Um, yeah. The, the era in which it was made, the man who made it. Yeah. And just elements of, of, unions and the mob and just, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of stuff to it that I think I am only even now starting to understand as a grown up. Yeah. And based on that, I think it's actually a, a pretty great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are, there are parts. I, I don't find the central romance interesting, but I very <laughs> seldom do. Yeah. Um, and when it's like a side, Plot, yeah. really the the romance is not the core of this movie yeah. so a lot of times when it's kind of on the side it's see the studio execs saying you gotta get a girl in yeah. there and even though the girl won best supporting actress mm-hmm. um and and i think it's handled well yeah but it definitely there are times when i'm still a 12 year old boy <laughs> who is just like yeah all right fine i understand why why do you have to have a woman in fast forward through the love parts exactly it's boring <laughs> grandpa they're kissing again um and so uh you know and i feel bad saying that because it is well handled and you actually get some of brando's better moments in yeah. that romance yeah um yeah because i i have always liked brando better when he's playing smaller things yes like uh while it may have been kind of, uh, well, it may have been very striking at the time when he screams Stella. Yeah. It's like, all right, fine. Or when he, you know, when he goes big and dramatic, it's not as interesting to me as a film watcher. Maybe that's because I'm looking at it with 2017 eyes, but it's so strange to see the career that he had Mm -hmm. given where he started and where he not necessarily finished, but what he came to be associated with, he came to be associated with bigger than life characters, Mm -hmm. you know, Vito Corleone, it's a wonderful performance. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you know, uh, by Brando's own account, you know, he saw him as sort of a bulldog of a man, you know, Mm -hmm. who just has a very specific way of talking, a very specific way that he looks as opposed to, you know, Terry Malloy and on the waterfront who is just, Aside from Marlon Brando ha- having a distinct look to him, there's nothing particularly in- uh, special about him. He just yeah. he's he's not Brando's not putting on a voice. He's not putting on any makeup or anything like that. As mm. opposed to Kurtz, he's shaving his head and right. Uh, and Godfather is stuffing his mouth full of mothballs. Exactly. Are they Cotton mothballs? Balls, yeah, <laughs> that would be a, that'd dangerous. Be a very different I think. performance. <laughs> um, Can you and eat mothballs? So, I'm going to say you can't eat mothballs. I think it's. I mean, you yeah, can I, in the sense that you can eat anything, but 
<laughs> I would say we can define can in that you don't die if you do it. Okay. In that case, I, I don't know if yeah. you can eat mothballs. Okay. Yeah, it does not seem willing like to it's try. lethal. Um, <laughs> and if you're not willing to try something, then like, you know, it must be horrible. No way Marlon Brando was going to do it. Exactly. Uh, he was more like me in his, in his taste. Mm. That's probably not true. My <laughs> guess is given what we know, he probably is willing to eat most things. Yeah. Um, that's Komodo a mean dragon thing to especially. say. What was that? Komodo dragon, especially. Sure. <laughs> Call back to the freshman, <laughs> uh, starring Harold Lloyd. So, uh, Okay. But yeah, it's just, you know, he, and Stanley Kowalski does have big moments, but again, it's just like, just these, these normal guys who do have a a certain, as I said, last episode, a certain smoldering quality. Um, but he sort of turned into a character actor who occasionally got lead roles, Yeah. but even his, even his performance in, in, um, uh, oh man, last tango in Paris where there's nothing character about him but the way he plays him is yeah, so he, off the wall he plays it like a larger than life yes. character uh so he's just i i think he's just a guy who went crazy <laughs> um but in on the waterfront he's just he 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 plays a very kind of a kind of a mook mm-hmm. type character um which and he plays him well he's a guy who's a little dim and i believe that he's dim you yeah know? Uh, as i was saying last uh, last episode somebody like a rod steiger i think brings an inherent intelligence to his characters and i think he can't hide it whereas i do think that brando is an intelligent guy but is able to to shed that if he needs to. Yeah. And Terry is not a remarkably smart guy. No. Yeah. Um, he might actually be, uh, less intelligent than Marty. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny because I think of this character a lot like Rocky sort of. Sure. It's a very similar type of character, but I think Brando plays in the way he does specifically because of the method acting. Like he yeah. brings that kind of dumbness to it yeah. because of his method acting. Whereas not to say that Sylvester Stallone is a dumb character person, but yeah. I think he is more just following his own personal instinct in that yes, character. I think so. And it's interesting to see it, that's just an interesting compare and contrast of two character, two actors coming at the role from a very different way, but creating very similar characters. I think I might've told this story about Brando in the past. Um, the story about his acting class, where they did uh, with the chickens. This is, that's my favorite Marlon Brando story. It's, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> and it, and it explains why he is, when he's not going completely insane, mm-hmm. why he's such a marvelous actor as that. And, and listeners, I'll tell it again. I think I've told it on here before that, uh, there was an acting class and he was, and he was in the acting class and the instructor said, okay, you all have to act like chickens who are, I believe it's who are seeing a bomb drop. I thought it was like city. hearing an air raid siren. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that's up above, mm-hmm. you know? And so everybody, everybody played, you know, this chicken that's like looking up and, and, and noticing something. Mm-hmm. And Brando just went into the corner of the room and just sat and just laid an egg. <laughs> like just act, it wasn't looking up, didn't care. I have a thing I'm going to do. And, and he committed to what it is to be a chicken. Yeah. Um, I think the way that I heard it is because that's why I remember air raid siren because people were like going crazy about it. Okay. Yeah. Like chickens freaking out. Yeah. And at least in the version I heard, who, who knows if this is all apocryphal anyway, but the, the, 
instructor said, what are you, what are you doing? And he said, I'm a chicken. I don't know what an air raid siren is, Yeah, which I, I love. <laughs> yeah. That's, and, and it's the same, either way, it's the same basic yeah. thing. He was tapped into the mindset of a chicken instead of taking what he knows as a human and applying that to the, yeah. the, uh, physicality of a chicken. And he's playing a boxer. So a guy who gets punched in the head for a living, <laughs> uh, and not a, a good living either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not even the best at getting punched in the head. Um, and so, but, so, you know, he, he takes wish, a big, I wish when a heavyweight wins, it wins like a title. It says on the belt, like best at getting punched in the head, <laughs> but then, and, but there's also like a, uh, an ellipsis. And then at the bottom it says, it says also punching others in the head. <laughs> Let's not forget that. That's a big part. That's half of it. Um, so, uh, but, you know, and, and the character at the end, it's so interesting that we're talking about this and Marty. We're recording these on the same night, but mm-hmm. characters that are doing profound things or even thinking profound things, but not totally grasping the weight of it. You know, when Terry makes his big stand there at the end against uh, Johnny Friendly, played wonderfully by uh, Lee J. Cobb, when he's taking his stand there, he is he is aware that he is taking a stand. Mm-hmm. I don't think he knows that it's symbolic of something. I think he mm-hmm. just yeah. And everybody else knows. Everybody else knows that this is a big deal. I think he just thinks this is the only thing I can do. Yeah, and so he does it. And and I don't think that Brando imbues him with anything more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what makes the character so real. Yeah. Um, but I will say that, uh, his is not the only amazing performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have, you know, even Marie Saint, who unfortunately I, I remember liking in the, in the film, but I don't even really remember why I feel mm-hmm. terrible saying that. But, um, as opposed to Carl Malden, Lee J Cobb and Rod Steiger, uh, I do think that, uh, the scene, you know, in the, in the car with Rod Steiger, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's well written and it's memorably written and, and Brando plays it, uh, in a memorable way. Um, as this guy who's reflecting on what he could have been as opposed to what he is. But the fact that he's saying it in the midst of a, he's, he's saying it as a plea to his brother who kind of sold him out a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And it's a really, in that context, it's actually an e- even a more emotional scene. Right, because it could come out as just sort of complaining yeah. otherwise, but it's uh, there's a melancholy to saying, almost like you've taken advantage of me yeah. when I was somebody who the world had already taken advantage of. Yeah, and it's and I think there's a certain degree of self-loathing. It, it's self-pity and self-loathing where he's just like, I let this happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't stand up to you, but at the same time, you're my brother. Like, right. I shouldn't have to stand up to you. Yeah. You should be on my side. Mm-hmm. And and that ultimately leads to Rod Steiger making a decision. And, and when... You know, when he spoilers, when he's eventually killed by the mob for making uh, for for defending, sorry, <laughs> for defending his his younger brother. It's a really sad moment. Yeah. Uh, and moments like that are what I remember when I think of mm-hmm. on the waterfront. I actually don't even remember. I remember it, but I don't think of the, the big stand there at the end, which is a mm-hmm. big moment. But I yeah. think of those smaller moments mm-hmm. um, 
that are relational. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do also love Carl Malden in this film. He's, mm-hmm. he's a very, in a way, and I, given, given, you know, modern events and that sort of thing, and people constantly talking about what it means to be Christian and mm-hmm. in light of social justice and all that. And, and regardless of what I might think about anybody who says that, um, when you see, uh, 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 Carl Malden as this priest, who's in the thick of it. Like he understands that what good is it being a priest in the midst of this neighborhood when the mob owns it? Uh, you know, what hope can I give people if I myself am afraid of the mob? And he's, he's often there. He's in the midst of, of the action and he is, he, he spurs people on to do the right thing and he's standing right there next to them when they do. Um, and it's a very forceful performance without ever seeming, he, he definitely seems like, he seems like a priest who is willing to take action and not just talk. Yeah. Um, which is something you don't see a whole lot in. I like that depiction because oftentimes, especially if it's a non-Christian filmmaker, they, the tendency is to just create a, to, to depict people in the clergy as just nice and afraid to offend anybody and that sort of thing. And this is a guy who is in the trenches with these people and he's not going to be like that. And that's, that's more, that's something you can sink your teeth into more. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like Carl Malden isn't spoken about enough as an actor. He's a solid supporting player, always memorable and, and very unassuming. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, but you know, when, when I think of him, I usually think of Patton first and the character is sort of seen in comparison to Patton because Patton is the brash and over the top and general Bradley is just kind of the level headed guy. And so again, unassuming, uh, unremarkable, but he can also be forceful within that. And I think on the waterfront is a great example of mm. that. Um, and then he's also great in, you know, a streetcar named desire where he again plays kind of a, not a weak guy, but a, but a sensitive sort. Yeah. Um, and I believe he won best supporting actor for that. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, on the waterfront is it's a really great crime movie. It's a really great uh, uh, relational film. It's it's symbolic of things, you know. And again, it's it came out, I believe, shortly after. I mean, kind of in the mid, in the tail end of the 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 Hollywood blacklist and the McCarthy era. Yeah, and that's uh, I feel like that's something you can't talk about this movie without bringing up because yeah. I, for a while at least, and I think we've kind of gotten over this but not entirely there's kind of a uh a dark light cast on this movie yeah. because people say about Elia Kazan well he named names and this was his way of exonerating himself and yeah. making it you know seem like he did the right thing yeah and uh, i don't know I, I honestly i don't feel like there's anything wrong with that like he did feel like he did the right thing and an argument could be made that he did argument can be made that he didn't but if if you're going to say this is about somebody doing the right thing in the face of adversity even if you feel like that's not really what alia kazan was doing yeah uh, that that is that's still a universal thing that's still a uh, uh that's still an idea that is well that can apply to anyone and is well depicted in this movie. So I I feel like 
bringing his personal experience into it and our personal idea of left versus right is not yeah uh is not a fair way to to assess the movie or judge it and i actually think it, it complicates it in a wonderful way yeah because it, it makes me wonder like okay well why did Ilya kazan name names did he do it because he actually thought there was a communist threat and he was going to try do his best to to help them root it out because if that's the case then this film makes a great deal of sense because Tony, uh, Terry is standing up and naming names of people that are hurting uh, yeah. his neighborhood yeah. um, but if Ilya Kazan simply gave in to pressure and named people that he knew were not com- uh, that he knew were not communists then suddenly Terry's heroic actions seem like what Ilya Kazan wishes he were do- yeah. he was doing, and I, I don't know. That's either way, it makes things more. This film makes things more complex, and and in the Oscars for 1998, he actually was given the Lifetime Achievement Award, and um, you know, rather famously, you saw some people in the audience applauding and 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 standing and then other people you saw sitting and not even clapping Mm -hmm. Uh, i remember that year uh, nick nolte was nominated for best actor he he did not there are people that just refuse to to applaud for this guy because Mm -hmm. um and i and i i understand where they're coming from which is that yes Ilya kazan made if nothing else he made streetcar named desire and on the waterfront he also made a face in the crowd, which is uh, an astonishing film and one that actually has become more relevant since then. Um, so yeah, he did contribute a great deal to film, but an argument could be made that by doing what he did, he kept other people from making a contribution, people that will never get a lifetime achievement award because of what he mm-hmm. made happen to them. So, you know, he, he's a figure that, you know, I, I will probably like, I will defend DW Griffith uh, or rather the, the Director's Guild Lifetime Achievement Award being called the D.W. Griffith Award. They stopped calling it that in 1999 because, of course, he directed Birth of a Nation, which is a remarkably racist film. Mm-hmm. But he did not his, devote his entire career to that. In fact, he did everything he could to get away from that yeah. after that. And also, every single director in history owes their career to the, the pioneering techniques of D.W. Griffith. So mm. I think the Directors Guild was wrong to take his name off of the Lifetime Achievement Award. It's, mm-hmm. it, by somebody winning the D, a director winning the D.W. Griffith Award, that they're ultimately saying, like, you as a director ha- have had a career that's so important and so notable that it deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as this guy who made this American director who revolutionized the way film was made, you know, that's astonishing to me. Mm -hmm. So that I think is, is ridiculous. Whereas, you know, he didn't, he didn't keep anybody from working, uh, quite the opposite. He employed thousands of people. (laughs) Um, whereas Elia Kazan, I think probably, probably did, uh, keep people from working and that is a shame. So I, anybody who has a problem with him, I, I understand, Mm -hmm. but I think that this film, when you look at that larger, you know, this, what what I've learned is called extra textual. Mm -hmm. When you look at this extra textual stuff, uh, the film becomes more, even more interesting. Yeah. Um, often I don't like knowing, external things when i'm watching <laughs> yeah, a film i like the film you want to be yeah. to take it just for what it is yeah. but i don't know in reality no film is just what it is exactly on on the screen so okay. yeah. and you know and i but i also i tend to like it when directors know 
what you uh, what that you know things what about you them. know about them yeah they, and it, you know clint eastwood is for the last 20 25 years he's devoted his whole career to making films that go against what you know of him hmm. yeah uh, you know unforgiven uh mystic river million dollar baby and then especially grand torino yeah. and i and i love that i think that's fascinating and it's this, they do the same i enjoy when they do the same thing with casting like tarantino does a lot in yeah. casting characters that he, he casts a certain way because of what you know about them because yeah. of what's in your mind about them because you knew kurt russell was in the thing or something like that yeah. and uh, so i don't know th- those there are certainly times when filmmakers play with the extra textual things because they know what you as an audience member know or expect. And I like that. And that's the thing is Ilya Kazan undoubtedly made this film knowing that people knew about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's for so many reasons uh, on the waterfront is a fascinating film. Um, and, the win, uh, the film won a number of Oscars. It won Best Picture, Director, Actor, Supporting Actress, Best Writing, it says, uh, Cinematography, Art Direction, and Editing. It was nominated for Supporting Actor three times for Lee J. Cobb, Carl Malden, and Rod Steiger. That's nuts. That, that, that would happen again with too. The Godfather. Yeah. And then I think two actors, no, three actors were nominated for Godfather Part Two as well for Supporting. Um, you got your Lee Strasberg, your Michael Gazzo and Robert De Niro who won. Uh, and then it was also nominated for best score. And I actually, um, this past summer, Jen and I went to the Hollywood bowl several times Mm. and there was one where, uh, this orchestra just played bits of music from, from films. And so we got a, uh, an absolutely like, it's so so gorgeous that it brought a tear to my eye. Like, uh, uh, from a bit of music from vertigo that was just absolutely astonishing. Mm. And then they played a bit from, uh, on the waterfront and I never really cared for that score. I thought it was mm. a bit bombastic. Uh, but I think that's the idea mm. and, and listening to it again, just sort of free from the context of the film. I was like, this is really good music mm. and it actually does bring to mind the film, which is understandable. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, I feel like I would, I should watch the movie again with, uh, I don't know, just, with an ear towards towards the music, because a lot of people think it's it, it considered one of the better scores uh, in film history. So, who, who was the composer of that one? Do you know? You know what? I don't have it written down here. I bet it's somebody notable. Yeah, um, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm curious now. So, the other Best Picture nominees for 1954: you've got the Kane Mutiny, the Country Girl, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and Three Coins in a Fountain. I have only okay. My parents were big fans of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I think officially I have seen it. I don't remember a single thing about it. That's the one I've seen. Okay. I have seen the Kane Mutiny, which I love. I have not seen that. Uh, that to me is a, is a, in a, one of the many arguments for why Humphrey Bogart was such an, a, an amazing actor mm. because he's a guy, he's a guy who was, uh, seen in a very specific way by viewers as kind of a very specific type of tough guy. Mm-hmm. But then you see some of the choices that he makes with Treasure of the Sierra Madre, um, uh, the Kane Mutiny, and then especially a film called In a, Lo- In In a Lonely, Lonely Place, Place which is, say. you know, I think is one of my favorite performances I've still never ever. seen that film, and I hear so much about it, I really need to see that I one. just got it for Christmas. Did I can really? lend it to you. I will have to borrow it. Um, but uh, Kane Mutiny, he plays a guy who is unlikable and is slowly coming unhinged. And Bogart, actually, he doesn't do anything that different than what he normally does. He just ratchets it up. And that's when you realize, like, oh, yeah, he as a person and as an actor has a natural a natural edge to him and a natural, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, uh, it's... It, 
kind of standoffishness. He's standoffish and he's just, and he can make you uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. If he heightens something. Right. And he does it in, in, uh, treasure of the Sierra Madre yeah. quite a bit. And so, uh, and, and Kane Muni just has a great cast all around. You've got uh, Fred McMurray in there. You've got Jose Ferrer. Um, it's, it's a really good movie. I like it a lot. Um, it's a little hokey at times, but once things really kick in, uh, once the, the mutiny really kicks in and the, and the trial, uh, I think it's a marvelous film. Hmm. I um, couldn't tell you one thing about the country girl. I know nothing about yeah. that film. I've heard of three coins in a fountain. I don't know anything about it. I think uh, I was, I was going to say, I think that's a comedy, but I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know at least a little bit about that one. The country girl. I couldn't. Uh, yeah. Nothing. Uh, zero. Do I know about that? Movie. You big fan of seven brides for seven brothers. Um, I'm not a huge musical fan and yeah. similar to you. My, my mom loves that movie. Exactly. Um, there are some fun stories about it. Like I know, um, uh, Russ Tamblin was in that one oh, okay. and he was not a dancer when they hired him. They hired him cause he could tumble, hmm. which is like a gymnastics thing yeah. sort of. And so he just did a bunch of gymnastics type stuff in it. But apparently like, yeah, there, there was one other one that couldn't dance too. I think the main one couldn't dance. And was like the whole thing was about singing, dancing brothers and, yeah. uh, Russ Tamlin couldn't dance. And then like the main one, doesn't dance or something Seems like the main one should be able to dance. Maybe that's part of the movie. See, I, I don't remember, but that might be part of the movie that he doesn't dance. Right. I don't know. Fair enough. But there's a song about the rape of the Sabine women, which seems like a strange uh, yeah. thing to put in a, uh, <laughs> in a lighthearted musical. Oh, it was a different time. Uh, <laughs> people were super into that kind of thing back then. Uh, so, um, so for me, all I really have to do is compare on the waterfront and the cane mutiny and w- which one is better. And honestly, as much as I love the cane mutiny, I do think that on the waterfront is probably a better film all around. And, uh, for me, I, I'd say on the waterfront yes. beats out seven brides for seven brothers. Uh, but there are a number of films that came out in 1954 that are really uh, great and memorable. Um, the Disney 20,000 leagues under the sea, uh, is something I grew up on. Uh, the animated uh, version of Animal Farm, which we now know, was uh, funded by the CIA. Did you know that? <laughs> I think I did hear that. That only came about. That only came to light in like the last fifteen to twenty years, and it's astonishing to me. Uh, Dial M for Murder, which I still have not seen. Dial M for Murder is good. The original Godzilla, which uh, you bought me for Christmas, I think, a few years ago. <laughs> That's a good one too. Uh, the David Lean film Hobson's Choice starring uh, uh, Charles Lawton. I which have is, not seen that. Uh, it's good, not great, but it's, it is good, it's, mm. and I think it's worth seeing. Mm. Uh, I've never seen Johnny Guitar. I've heard good things. Johnny Guitar is pretty good. It, it, it's one of those genre ones that's stood the test of time because it's genre, but also because it subverts some of the things you expect from the genre, having okay. like Joan Crawford kind of be the, the primary villain in it. Who's the hero? Is it uh, Sterling, Sterling Hayden? Hayden okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, and then we'll skip over some of these that are bolded because we'll talk about them in a okay. moment. Um, the Billy Wilder Sabrina is a delight. That, that's uh, um, Humphrey Bogart kind of playing against yeah, type again. Absolutely. Um, and then I've never seen A Star is Born, unfortunately. I've never seen La Strada. I've heard good things. I've seen it, but I I remember Anthony Quinn being bombastic in it, but that's pretty much all I remember. That's- <laughs> so Anthony Quinn was in it is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So, uh, there is a marvelous film called Sancho, the bailiff 
that I really love. That's yeah. I fairly recently I have discovered Mizuguchi films mm-hmm. and geez, they're so great. I uh, think that might be the only one of his that I've seen, but I might be wrong. on. You that. would love Ujetsu if you haven't seen that one. Yeah. But, uh, based on, uh, stuff that I've read about it, it does sound like my kind of thing. I didn't think yeah. I'd like Sancho the Bailiff that much, but, really? uh, but I really, really responded to it. Yeah. It's, I would need to rewatch it. Cause when I first saw it, my thought was, Oh, we need to do it to do a more than one lesson episode about it. Oh, really? Uh, but I've forgotten why. So I think I need to watch <laughs> it again and, uh, we could do an episode about it. Um, so, uh, another film, seven samurai, which is great. It is not my preferred, uh, Kurosawa. You know, it's not mine either. And that's, that's funny because it is kind of the one that people talk about when they talk about Kurosawa. Yeah. sight and sound. Whenever they make their top 10, it often shows up in the top 10. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I would, there's probably two or three that I like better than that one. I, I think I definitely Rashomon like, is my favorite yeah, of the bunch. I like Rashomon better. I like Throne of Blood better. Yeah. I might like Ikiru better. I haven't seen Ikiru. Um, and it's not that Seven Samurai is bad. They're all great films. He's yeah. a very talented filmmaker. But there's something about those ones that has... Uh, I think it's that those ones have a little more specificity to them. I think so. I, Ra- Rashomon is just such a fascinating idea for a film. Yeah, that's true. And it, it's one of those things... There must be a word for this that I don't know, but establishes a... Uh, kind of a technique or not techniques, the wrong word. It establishes a thing that then we all know for the rest and, and like becomes a thing that exists for the rest of movies. Like, yeah. and, and it's the, the idea of telling the story through four different perspectives. Yeah. But like, I think of that in things of like groundhog day, like we all know this thing. Now the idea of oh, yeah. uh, a day that just keeps repeating over and over again. And people say like groundhog day and it's like a, th- it becomes some kind of cultural yeah. linchpin that we all understand. And that's one thing that Rashomon was. And, and uh, th- there are probably 15 movies ever that have done sure. something like that. Yeah, that's actually, that's, that's interesting. And there probably is a term for it and I can't think of what yeah. it would be. Um, so, uh, yeah, and then I, I'm a huge fan of Throne of Blood. I, I think that's a marvelous film. I think it's yeah. very haunting. I think it's such a neat idea. It's great for a film. Um, I own Yojimbo. I haven't seen it. Yojimbo's great too. Um, I have seen Hidden Fortress, and I like it quite a bit. I think I like Seven Samurai more than that one. Mm. Um, I but, might also. but Hidden Fortress is still pretty yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I, I it's it's strange because I fi- I saw Seven Seven Samurai. Um, a couple years ago for the first time it was it was like a big thing i needed to check off my list and i enjoyed it while i was watching it and uh but honestly like it just it hasn't stuck with me like you know rashomon has stuck with me for years yeah same with throne of blood mm-hmm. um and seven samurai for some reason I, I still remember a lot of it but it just didn't doesn't resonate with me for some mm-hmm. reason um so and then uh, i think probably the big one from this year that uh to my knowledge did not get much oscar recognition maybe any was uh rear window mm-hmm. um which is uh, that's a top three hitchcock for me yeah, i think me for most people i would say yeah um it's usually psycho rear window vertigo uh, with maybe some north by northwest thrown in there mm-hmm. as well um but rear window is maybe one of the most accessible hitchcock films and he's a he's an accessible director yeah um but it's just such a wonderful idea for a movie and yeah. i think it's beautifully pulled off yeah um and and it it it's a, a really interesting example of of hitchcock working with um jimmy stewart and getting some really likable yet creepy stuff out yeah. of him uh and it's just it's clearly a film that exists 
the way that it exists because Hitchcock had a lot of power and was just given free reign to do what he wanted. So he just built an entire city block on a soundstage. <laughs> and I believe he even ripped up the floor so that he could get a, a third story in there. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. If, if listeners, if you haven't seen rear window, you owe it to yourself as film yeah. fans to watch it. It is, it's just so enjoyable. Yeah. And even though it's so contained, it's one of the few films that yeah. does that well. It's almost the whole movie takes place in one yeah. room and it does. And it notably doesn't feel like it. 12 Angry Men obviously feels like it, but the whole nature of of Rear Window is that he's in one room, but by spying on other people, he's able to get out of it. And we feel like we're not, we feel like we get out of that room, but in fact, we never do. Which which becomes a metaphor for film itself exactly which is brilliant um, or in my opinion because uh, i wrote a paper about this i, I mm-hmm. think it's it's film yes yes but i think it's actually more television because mm-hmm. each window okay. is a new is a different channel yeah yeah and you, it's like yeah this one's boring what's the net what's the other one <laughs> what's miss so, lonely hearts up to uh yeah it's a that's i'll, I'll watch uh, rear window any day of the week uh, i think it's a i think it might be a perfect film there aren't mm-hmm. a lot of movies i describe as perfect i think i would describe that one as perfect I can see that. Um, and, and honestly, as much as I, as I do like on the waterfront, I think rear window uh, for me, I think it just blows out of the water. <laughs> it's, and it's funny. I feel like most, so many Hitchcock movies have like a moment that you remember, like mm-hmm. something really, uh, key somehow, whether it's the airplane sequence North by Northwest or yeah. it's the crows on the, uh, on the jungle gym right. in, uh, in the birds yeah. and in rear window, I feel like it's the look that uh, Thorwald when he when he first realizes yeah. that look and it, it that's such a simple thing like a lot of these other yeah. are big kind of spectacle things but that's the moment that always sticks with me that kind of gives you a chill down your spine oh yeah it's because it's the it, it's it's such a fascinating idea because mm-hmm. this is a guy who's just looking at everyone else and for and and for the first time in the film somebody looks back. Yeah. And it's, it's, and uns- it's, the, it's the person you don't want looking back. Yeah. And it's unsettling in the way that if you were watching TV and suddenly they were looking at you, Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> and you know that they're looking directly at you. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is just, and he's, he's been doing this with, with impunity. He's like, well, no one's going to look at me looking right. at them, obviously. And, in that moment, you realize just how you're reminded of how vulnerable he is. Yeah. Both his legs. Oh no, one leg is broken. Yeah. Um, and so if somebody decides he wants to hurt Jimmy, they want to hurt Jimmy Stewart. There's not much he can do. And yeah. in that moment, it's, Oh, this guy can come and get me now. Yeah. Oh, what a it's wonderful, great. it is. It's a, <laughs> there's a lot of really good moments in that yeah. film. Uh, and that is when I do think of, the suspense elements mm-hmm. of, of rear window. I definitely think about that. Um, and I, I, uh, I think you might've seen it in, in my house. I, I had this print oh, yeah. made, uh, for Jen where someone was awesome enough to go through and take all of the different elements of the, the back courtyard and all mm-hmm. the different windows and stuff. And they put it all together in one wide frame. And so I had a print of that made cause Jen loves rear window <laughs> and uh, it's a really awesome print. It's I'm very, cool. I'm, yeah. I'm really happy with it. But, uh, so yeah. Um, so listeners seek out uh, rear window and seven samurai and, and, uh, uh, 
Sancho the Bailiff and Dial in for Murder, apparently, which I still haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Seek Out on the Waterfront. I think you would enjoy it. And yeah. uh, it's a film that if somebody said they were going to see, I would I'd say, oh, absolutely, you you should you should check it out. Yeah, and I think it's definitely an important film in if you're talking about classic American film because yes. it's a key Brando performance. It's uh, any dis, any uh, involved discussion of American film talks about the blacklist, and this kind yeah. of deals with that. And so, yeah, I think it's it's I think it's kind of essential viewing. Yeah, I would I would agree. So, um, all right. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed that. I believe the next one of these we'll do will be in a couple of weeks, and we will be talking about the best picture of 2016, which predictions from here to eternity. Oh boy. Uh, I mean, I guess there's always the possibility of a write in, but somehow <laughs> I just don't see it happening. I think, uh, yeah, I think it'll be, I think it's between moonlight and la la land just based on anytime. It's like, like with the golden globes, anytime it's okay, let's, we've got best comedy or musical and then best drama. It's between those two. Yeah. Um, and, and so ultimately I think they'll choose la la land. I think I'd be kind of shocked at this point. If they, I think it would be a big upset if it wasn't la la land. Yeah. Because I, it's set to win so many other awards and yeah. while it's not unheard of from film to win best director and, and probably cinematography and editing and yeah. score and all that kind of thing and not win best picture. It's, it's not unheard of, but it is yeah. very rare. And it's also what it tied the, the record for the most nominations yeah. is what I read. And every other movie that has done that has won best picture. Yeah. So, and it's, I don't think it's going to tie anything for bet for wins. I don't think so. Either. But yeah, it's that it's a, it's a film that the Academy is clearly looking to embrace. Yeah. And I think, it, it's it's making money. It's mm-hmm. a crowd pleaser, and it still also manages to be great. Yeah, uh, in a lot of ways. So yeah, I think there's no reason not to do it. Um, but we'll talk more about this next <laughs> next yeah. time. Well, it, I'll say this: the the thing that might throw it off, okay, is last year mm-hmm. there was the Oscars so white thing, and That's while true. here's the thing, I think. Marshala Ali is going to win best supporting actor. Yeah, I think so too. I think Viola Davis is a guarantee for supporting actress. Yeah. I would have said Casey Affleck is a guarantee for best actor, but Denzel Washington won the SAG award. Did he really? So I think they might want to, they might want to show just how not racist they are, which means they might wind up embracing moonlight for best picture. It's possible. As opposed to the super white, uh, La La Land where <laughs> they, it's even about jazz and the white people are <laughs> front and center, you know? So, uh, I think that might, that could be the wrench that gets thrown into the, into the, into the works there. It's possible. I, th- I still think that won't happen, but I can see that. Yeah. I, I won't be my head won't explode if that doesn't happen, if that does happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it winds up being something other than those two, then I will be very oh, yeah. surprised if it's like lion or something, we're going to be like, what? Yeah. Well, every year there's a movie that, uh, that everybody says like, Oh, this will definitely be up for some stuff. And then critics don't really like it. Mm-hmm. And everyone says like, yeah, this part's good. This part's good. But overall it's not that good. And then the Academy is like, yeah, but we all agreed, uh, several months ago, apparently that we were going to nominate it for a bunch of stuff. We all thought it was going to be good. Um, and I, I know nothing about it. I know a little bit. I shouldn't say that, but I have no idea whether it's any good or not. And it it sounds interesting. The concept sounds interesting. It, it, I don't know. There are so many of these that I want to see this year because they're Oscar contenders, but some of them are not, don't seem that compelling to me. I don't know. 
to go and see them. They might be the kind that once yeah. I see them, I'll be like, that was great. Oh, I've got the screener for hidden figures just sitting in my house. <laughs> yeah. And it, I'm sure it's interesting and everyone says it's good, but yeah, the somehow only person I've talked to so far that, it, well, I guess only people I've talked to who have seen it have said it's great. Yeah. And, and yet somehow, yeah, it just doesn't interest me that much because yeah. I'm a racist, obviously. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, wait, hang on. I saw and really liked fences. Okay, I'm not uh, racist. Well, it just kind of balances out. You're just normal. Yeah. If you like moonlight, then you're okay. Whew. All right, thank God. All right, we're being a little bit glib. Sorry, everybody. Um, but yeah, so we will we will uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. I'll I will of course be back next week uh, with uh, an episode about. Uh, I'm not really sure which which it's going to be, but uh, but I'll let let everybody know on Twitter and Facebook what uh, next week's episode is going to be about. But in the meantime, thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Thank you.